Podcast One. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. This audio edition is created in conjunction with partners as part of our Market Voice series. Well, attention around the attention economy just keeps heating up. If you've been even slightly across what progressive advertising industry minds have been saying for at least a year or two, straight and simple audience reach as a measurement currency is on the decline. As one of our guests today says, the industry has for too long been focused on the wrong kind of reach and therefore the wrong kind of consumer attention to advertising. They call it superficial attention. There are huge developments emerging globally on attention and we're going to discuss some of them today. R Media, formerly Bauer, recently became the first publisher globally to partner with the Australian Attention Currency Media Planning Tool, there's a mouthful, Attention Trace, which is being picked up globally. So with us today to talk through the fast-changing world of attention is Shazia Ganai, UK CEO of NeuroInsight, Professor Karen Nelson-Field, CEO of Amplified Intelligence, and Jane Waterhouse, General Manager of Story 54 at R Media. So welcome to you all. I'm really looking forward to this one because it's rich territory. There is so much happening. And Jane Waterhouse, we might go to you first because you've been on this uh, global journey, journey, if you like, to uh, unpack uh, something that goes beyond standard reach. You've just become the first global publisher to partner with Attention Trace. We'll get to some of the details about that shortly. But you have been frustrated, I think, for some time about how the industry is largely accepting of reach, or as you call it, I think, superficial attention uh, as a proxy for effective audience planning and effective advertising. Tell us a little bit about what's been going on in your world, Jane, and, and what the problem is that you've been, you've been uh, coming into. Welcome, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah, great topic to be talking about. I think, you know, we've, we've probably spent about 18 months being very frustrated by seeing, uh, you know, the industry ignore what we know is an incredibly powerful channel and uh, incredibly powerful medium. And, uh, you know, with all eyes on, you know, something new and and shiny. And so what we knew we had to do is to find a new metric to be able to prove the power um, and what we call the magic of magazines. And magic, first three letters just happened to be mag as well. Nice. And, you know, that just happened. But, you know, we know that over um, 58% of Australians have actually read the latest issue of a magazine in the last month. And in fact, almost 50% of them paid for this. And, and, Interestingly, uh, just under a million of them were under 30. So we knew that, that and we know because we continue to see, you know, the growth, particularly during COVID in sales of magazines, we know they're, um, you know, a unique medium, what we call the unicorn of, uh, of media. Um, but we needed a new metric to be able to prove that. And it, yeah, it's been an 18 month journey, which, um, you know, I can bore you with at any time. Well, let's, let, let's just go to the, the, the... The, the really interesting one, which I found fascinating, is that you're so keen or I wouldn't say desperate, Jane, but driven to find something to crack the code on this attention stuff and, and particularly with magazines. Um, you, you, ended up, you ended up talking to some chap on a, on a 
top of a shop in Beijing trying to get microchips for to embed into magazine pages. That's how. That's a fascinating. Tell us a little bit about that one. Yes. So yeah, it was a dream um, inspired embarrassingly by a, a Mission Impossible film with a micro dot that was underneath a stab <laughs> that made me think. Ah, oh, okay. So if you can do that, someone there must be some you know tech dev whiz somewhere in the world that could embed this chip in a page so that we could actually get a really good read, particularly on emotion that um, and, and and time spent via, you know, what the eyeball's doing uh, whilst looking at a magazine. And we, we met with a group of people. Someone said they knew about a, a, a very secret bloke in Croatia uh, and they went off to find this, um, you know, person in Croatia, which ended up being a, a dead end. And then we went off to, to Beijing and we found this chap and really his only solution was a, a pretty common one called uh, Toby Pro, which is a, a kind of eye, wearable eye tracking device that cost about $10,000. So, you know, it was frustrating, but at the, um, and you know, we were obsessed with it. And then we heard about this crazy woman in Adelaide who was just as obsessed as we were and uh, and was doing some really interesting work. So um, after the, the dead end in other parts of the world, here in Adelaide, Australia, we found uh, Professor Karen Nelson-Field. And the rest will probably look like history. So Croatia, Beijing, Adelaide, and Adelaide is uh, is obviously the answer. We might just go to um, Karen now. So, so Karen, I guess you would hear what Jane has talked about and her and her, her frustrations around uh, reach and attention and, and trying to get to the bottom of stuff. That would be a fairly regular lament from uh, publishers and advertisers, I guess, around the world. Uh, just give us a little bit of, of what's happened with this attention trace. You're building a currency outright for attention, probably the first we've seen globally. I'm still laughing about the crazy woman from Adelaide, but I just want to say Jane's thinking is actually not as um, common as you think. So uh, it sort of surprises me nearly every day that, you know, marketers and to some degree platforms don't necessarily align to the fact that an ad needs attention to have an impact. And, you know, no matter how many times I show them the work that we've done and we've got plenty of regression that shows, and there's plenty of other studies, not just ours, at the end of the day, you have to visually or hear an ad for it to have an effect. But Jane's unusual in that she sort of went, I need a pathway to sort of push past this whole concept of superficial attention. And I love that because that's kind of the pathway that I've been on for the last few years. So I left the university system feeling quite, I guess, frustrated with the concept of measuring attention via recall and intention and consideration and all of that other sort of survey-based work, only to sort of walk into a world where many people think that time on screen is an attention proxy and it's not. So I love Jane's thinking. And so actually she's not common. Her thinking's quite innovative in that she's gone, right, how can I actually measure what a human does? I don't necessarily want to trust, you know, device metrics. I want to actually see what a human's looking at and how, you know, they might interact with the ads. And then on top of that, the other part of her thinking, which is correct, is that quality platforms, without a doubt, get more of it. I mean, that's a pretty obvious thing. So 
I didn't even answer your question. It was a good setup, <laughs> nevertheless. So now you could answer it if you like, the good professor. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry, Paul. Um, but the answer to the question is: uh, fast forward four years, we, as many of your listeners would know, we've kind of built some fairly deep technology that encompasses passive eye tracking. So Jane was on the journey with uh, Toby Pro, which is um, hardware based, um, but where I see the I were, firstly, they're not scalable, but secondly, it's it's not passive. So a human does unusual things if they think they're being filmed or if they think they're on show, you know. So we went on this whole pathway of developing passive eye tracking, which is connected to an app um, and we intercept uh, cameras on, on devices. So we've done PC, tablet, mobile and television. And essentially what it does is that similarly to, to Toby Pro, it, it, it films someone um, looking at some content, um, but it does it in a passive way. So they can do it on a bus, no one really knows. You know, you don't feel like you're being watched and then transposes it into attention score. So, um, you know, my history is academia. Um, and so for the last four years, I've been sort of building out this research agency, which we've had some significant success around, you know, busting some myths. But, you know, about a year ago, it kind of occurred to me, you know, research findings don't change the game. Um, you know, people can listen to you or you can write as many books as you want, but you're really not helping, you're not forging a path if you don't have sort of an applied position. Um, so it's been about a year we've been going down this pathway where we sort of have co-designed a tool that essentially displays the complex data that we have. So the problem we had in the past is that the data is quite deep and, you know, just kind of giving someone a a raw file is hard for people to distinguish how does that even work, Where? Do, how does viewability fit in, how does sound fit in. And so what we decided to do and what, what agencies globally told us is that attention is a missing quality layer in their reach and frequency planning. And, and essentially what we want to use it for is to be able to sort of adjust, if you like, OTS. So For, the, for listeners that maybe uh, don't know the uh, acronym, OTS, Opportunity to See and Add. There we go. There's my little contribution. And the, and the reason why we've done that is because, you know, as equally part of your question, we know that not all opportunities to see are created equal. So And there's no transparency around this truth. So, you know, lots of different platforms have their own true north and they're all very different. And quite frankly, a lot of the proxy measures don't cut it. So this is the path we've been on. And, uh, yeah, we're very grateful to have met Jane. And I think there's, you've got some good global buy-in, Karen, but uh, Jane, I think the interesting thing for you is that you really are backing yourself on this. You have not seen the data yet in around magazines, but you're essentially so confident about the engagement and attention that, that your medium gets that you've, you've jumped in without even knowing what the data looks like. I understand it, by the way. Yeah. Um, I mean, some might call it brave, but we don't feel that. I mean, th- there's something intuitive as well as, you know, the research we've done in the past is that particularly women have a relationship with magazines, which is quite different. That And that moment, that magazine moment is very planned and it's anticipated and it's very deliberate. So when they're in that moment, we know they're really in it. And they, um, the qual research that we've done, they use the word soak, that they actually, you know, our readers soak. And in a world, of skimming, you know, the opposite uh, is obviously soaking and the fact that that's what our readers are telling us that they do with magazines and at 8 in 10 saying it was their favourite way to relax. So we know that they're very present in that moment. So, um, yeah, there's a belief that we will really... And then obviously the work that Shazi has been doing too um, has given us that confidence. 
We'll come back to it, Jane, but I still find it fascinating with some of the the data points you talk about. And and you mentioned earlier, people or at least women, um, mostly women in your in, in your set, are paying for magazines. So you would imagine there's a there is a, a correlation there with attention. They're interested and they do it. It's always uh, gazumped me how the industry doesn't get that in great depth. But we might come back around to that. And I was just going to add, but uh, Shazia might actually touch on it. Is there's also this beautiful um, research around the recall of things on paper too, that that's it, that we recall things on paper up to 75, 70% more than other channels. So it's not just the um, the fact you've paid for it, it's the, the medium and the tactile nature of, of which really is probably a good segue into Shazia actually. Well, it is. And Shazia, what is your work in the UK? I mean, you're, you're based in the UK. You're talking, we're talking to you from the UK at the moment, but what is your work showing on attention and impact uh, and particularly uh, in and around magazines and this this dilemma that we're talking about today of attention and welcome from far, far away. Thank you very much. It's always a pleasure. I mean, I, I almost want to start by just commenting on so many of the awesome things I've heard. Totally agree with what Jane said. I mean, we see this a lot when it comes to uh, physical interaction with tactile medium. Um, we see centers of the brain really light up just through that interaction mechanism. Um, and also to to Karen's point as well. I mean, consumers do behave in kind of wacky ways when they know they're being filmed. So much like what Karen's doing, we have a passive methodology where we measure subconscious brain response. So the brain is kind of the seat of all human decision making. It's where um, about 80 to 90% of our decisions uh, kind of begin. So that's what we're measuring. And and the work that we did um, looking at attention was a little bit different because um, whilst we understand that there's there's a lot of different types of attention, I guess, What we were looking at was sustained attention um, and demonstrating how that sustained attention was elicited, particularly by magazine reading and how that could help to drive ad communication effectiveness. And when we talk about sustained attention, we're specifically referring to a memory. So is it, you know, are you seeing it to Karen's point? First, they have to see it. And then once you've seen it, are you able to then remember it? Is it something that is going into long term memory? And long term memory correlates directly with future action. Basically, if it's not in your head, you can't do anything with it. So we're measuring the stuff that's going down in the head. Now, I always refer to um, the Disney film Inside Out when I talk about the fact that all of our memories must be colored by some sort of emotion. And that's where magazine learnings was so interesting. So when we did the research in the UK, what we were actually looking at was how magazine reading compares to other media environments when it comes to that memorability and emotion, ultimately that sustained attention. And is there a synergy between the general reading and the advertising in that magazine context? Is your brain processing those things in the same sort of way? Um, And we ran the research, you know, we get people in, fit them with some headsets, get them to sit around and enjoy um, an hour of just sort of chilling out, reading magazines and things. So that's what we did. And when we did that work, what we found, we found some really interesting insights. I mean, the first one was that while magazines achieve kind of the prerequisite levels of brain activity to land brand messages, we saw that they actually elicit a really strong and differentiated right brain response. And actually, it was typically, it was 19% stronger than TV. It was 25% stronger than social media. Um, 
And that's really interesting because the right side of the brain is responsible for quite a lot of, of cool stuff. And when we calculate the balance of activity between the two hemispheres, what we saw that magazine content had specifically a stronger right brain polarity. So that strong response is primarily driven by what we call emotional intensity. And emotional intensity is uh, actually an evolutionary mechanism of arousal. So this kind of links back to what Jane was saying about how much people, was it, was it soakers, I think you called it? Soak, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I think that kind of really lines up with what we're seeing in terms of that mechanism of arousal. And we saw that emotional intensity um, really kicking off. And to the extent to which an individual is kind of energized, that's what that's a measurement of. And specifically on that, we found that magazine advertising was outperforming all other types of media. So it was 25% stronger than TV. It was uh, 27% stronger than social, about 40, over 40% stronger than radio. Um, and so what we can see from that is that magazine is really driving right brain memory, which is great because we know memory drives action, which is ultimately where we're getting that attention from, but also that mechanism of emotional intensity, that arousal. So it's not just, you know, attention that's kind of fleeting. It's really sustained attention. Really, really, really interesting. And um, so, Jane, did you want to say something? Sorry. I was just going to say, we're sexier than we think, yes. us magazines, people. Oh, totally. <laughs> Oh yeah. I can't comment on that right now because <laughs> no. um, I, I, I haven't I haven't read the Women's Weekly for, for my wife does by the way. Shows a really interesting a really interesting points made and and I think Karen how do these how does that depth that that Shazi is talking about in in her research and the emotional uh, side of things and, and it resonating in, and landing in the brain for for memory encoding how does that fit with what you're talking about because it's you're more a currency right it's, it's you're you're sort of further up. Um, oh, further down, I don't know, the food chain, whichever way we're going to do it. How do they come together? Oh, down. <laughs> Look, what I love about what Shazia said is that we have found pretty much the same sort of thing, but in a different way. And, you know, what we know is that when findings hold across different conditions, and in this case, in different methodologies, then you know you're onto something. So where we see it is without a doubt the same in terms of sustained attention, it, sort of drives memory and we can see this in our most recent data from Austria, Germany and Switzerland and what we sort of show is that the number of active attention seconds actually drives how long it will retain. So we did like an add decay piece across those three countries um, and uh, so we can see that it takes around about three seconds of active attention, bearing in mind active attention is actually looking at it, not passive, which is looking around it. And then once you're at that point, which is why we've had this conversation before, Paul, which is two seconds is not enough. But then once you're at that point, then about every active seconds, rep every active seconds represents roughly around three days in memory. So I think her and our research is very, very similar in that way. I will be upfront and say we are a gaze tracking company and to your point we're down the food chain. So we, we're in the business of trying to provide data at scale so that it can be integrated into planning systems for people to use as a waiting layer in their current you know, planning tools. Um, so we can't do that by understanding people's brain every single time. So we, we do not and never have 
profess to understand what someone's thinking when we when someone sort of does the viewing that we have but with respect we actually see very much the same thing and on top of that my first book was about emotions and content diffusion so we've actually since tested attention and high arousal low arousal positive negative emotions against this work and we can see exactly that so high arousal is a trigger for uh, sustained attention so I think and what I'm trying to say in a long way is that we found the same stuff in a different way. Yeah, and so getting to attention trace then, essentially what we're talking about here is this is a scalable way to get to the, the start of what we just talked about in depth, right? So this gives you a layer of attention on broad reach. Yeah, look, I mean, the concept of change in measurement is in hyperdrive and everyone in our ecosystem is saying we need a new cross-platform currency I'm not suggesting that we're that person, but where the industry is moving towards, as I said, is an ability to be able to sort of understand the quality of the view within that. So for us, um, attention trace is a mechanism that we can actually get our data in a simple way, because as you well know, the, the actual tech itself is quite complicated. Um, but Attention Trace is a web platform that enables the data to sort of be displayed in a very simple way. So it says how many seconds of active, passive and non-attention per or via platform. And, you know, we've done TV, we've done social um, and we're about to do our media platforms. and We're very excited about that. I can't wait to see what the results come from that. But then... Um, in the new year, the API is due, so it'll land directly into people's planners because we're not replacing, you know, an agency planner. That's not our goal. No, got it. And so I guess the the, the question for all of you I want to ask is, is, um, is there any signs that the industry uh, at large, both uh, internationally and here in Australia, is more open than it has historically been to going deeper on attention rather than just reach. And, and I might start with you, actually, Shazia, in, in the UK. What is typically um, the response you get from um, from advertisers and agencies when you present your data? Do they go, yes, yes, and they move on? Or do they, do they try and say, we have to do this differently? Do they incorporate your data? I mean, I think there's a real mixed bag in the UK. And this year in particular has just been so challenging. Yeah. Um, but generally, you know, everyone's really in the mood to innovate and think outside of the normal traditional research methodologies. So when they see it, you know, ultimately, it's so heavily rooted in science and truth that there's no real way of denying that it's worth going after. So what we tend to see is when clients really do um, sort of hear about it, they'll they'll have that moment of going, I get it now, you know, this is useful stuff. Um, and, and luckily, that means we do get a lot of repeat clients, which is always nice. Um, and the works, uh, you know, I mean, definitely not in the same way that Karen's work is, which is, is very much about kind of being able to scale up at a much, much larger extent. But this is something that a lot of people will use on a repetitive basis. And it's mostly just because, you know, we did some work a while back with Thinkbox, which is a trade body for advertising in the UK. And we looked and we created almost like um, some fundamental principles around creative effectiveness. So we mined a bunch of data, looked at brain response and identified the key drivers of creative effectiveness from the subconscious point of view. And we all know that there's no blueprint for advertising or frankly, we'd all be out of a job. But there are some fundamental principles. And 
being able to root those in what's really going on in the seat of all human decision making. I mean, there's no denying that kind of stuff. And I think it's the same with Karen's work, you know, anything that's not rely on, on human conscious articulation and verbalization is really powerful um, because we know that, you know, human beings are limited um, in terms of the language that we can use, but also in terms of even knowing what we think and feel. Um, so, yeah, there's no denying it, really, I think. And, Karen, are you, uh, do you think the appetite globally, because you're, you're um, uh, both in Australia and, and offshore having conversations with global uh, media companies, media agencies, advertisers, the appetite to get beyond just sort of baseline reach and frequency, artificial uh, reach or artificial attention, superficial attention, as Jane calls it, is the appetite there now? And do we, do we are we going to see some real change? A hundred percent. So this last 12 months has been, you know, hugely moving the needle for this conversation. Um, and we see some global agencies now literally taking on the concept of the attention economy. Um, so, and it's not lip service. People are starting to, I mean, to Shazia's point, there are definitely some things people can do from a creative perspective that will make a massive difference to the likelihood of an AT OTS. But on top of that, what we see is that even if an ad is viewable by OTS standards, it doesn't mean it's actually been seen. So there's this whole, which is where we play a role. So, you know, weighting reach or net reach against a attention um, number is without a doubt hugely, hugely popular. I mean, we were a bit overwhelmed, to be honest, Paul, because we've just put the beta trial out. It's launching live in two weeks. And we we're a little bit shocked and excited about the response. So we've got people in 13 countries that have signed up. And with that said, as much as uh, Jane is the first platform, and we're very, very happy, there were 15 platforms that have signed up globally. So, you know, good platforms like Jane are proud of their advertising opportunities um, and see there as a value exchange between them as, a, as an organisation who makes money off advertising, but also what the viewer or the reader gets from it. So, yeah, it's definitely... There's definitely some change. It's game on, Jane Waterhouse. Um, that's probably music to your ears. How long are you going? Are you giving yourself that, or giving you, giving you and your company to break down some of those myths around the attention uh, and the engagement that your medium has? What do you get? Six months, twelve months, or are we talking um, a longer game than that? No, we'd want to be seeing some real changes. You know, mid-year for us. So uh, it's uh, you know to to see that we've you know really had an impact in this area and the re you know having this consistent measurement that through attention trace is really going to help that obviously the digital channels are first but the print channel is you know where we're uh, really uh, I think going to have a greater impact and uh, and in it's it's just we haven't had the consistent measurement and it's music to our ears that you know um, that Professor Karen is getting all of the um, you know signups that she's getting because that's only going to make our job easier because it has been as Shazia said I think a bit of a mixed bag over here as well uh, and there is also a real mood to innovate and to do you know to look at things through a different lens post COVID and uh, and so yeah the timing's perfect 
It is, and I, I look forward to seeing, um, you know, uh, sort of behavioural change rather than just us talking about it continually as well. It'll be interesting to see how the market responds. Jane, to wrap up, um, our media obviously has been through a, a rebranding and new owners and all sorts of all manner of things. Um, you must have had a fairly, we've all been hectic, but you've been more hectic than most of us, I suspect, in the last little while. But our media has been upfront about how it has some work to do in the Australian market to to re-address some of the, uh, the perceptions that it has. How's the market responded to your to your rebrand you had a showcase event i think last week uh how's that gone down um just give us a bit of a recap on 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 the the, all the changes that have gone through in the market reaction yeah i mean there was i don't know if you saw the showcase but there was a a a lot of content in there um so much so that we're doing an encore encore uh, performance tomorrow um, and it's been incredibly positive there's a lot of uh, a lot of follow-ups through the different things that we launched in that showcase yeah the market has sort of we know who our media are now I think that's the thing that's been really exciting we you know we had to do something quite bold and uh, you know and I think our former owners it was a bit tricky to get a hold on the personality even and the culture of that particular owner but there, it feels like we've really started to articulate a very different company and it's been received very well. Well, good one and I'm fascinated to see how this rolls out in the next six months with your attention and engagement stuff around mags and digital. And we haven't even got to the digital side of the business, which is obviously ramping up significantly. We'll have to um, follow up on that another time. But Shazia, Karen, Jane, thanks for joining. Um, really interesting conversation. A big heads up, I think, about to what's really going to get some um, big momentum in the next 12 months uh, around attention. So uh, stay safe and we will catch up and thanks for joining. Thanks. MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's moi in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Nick Slater, music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au or search MI3 Audio Edition on Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button.